There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm Gino Retta. I have spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine the game, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's guest, 18-year NHL veteran who's part of the legendary Sutter family from Viking, Alberta, two-time Stanley Cup champion, three-time Canada Cup champion. He coached the New Jersey Devils and Calgary Flames, also had a key role in Canadian junior hockey, both at the international level and the CHL level. Won a Memorial Cup in 2001, and, of course, two gold medals at the World Juniors. Pleased to welcome my buddy Brent Sutter. Brent, Great to have you on, my friend. I look forward to reminiscing some great stories, some great times we've had together. Hey, Gino. Good to be on, Bill. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. I got to take you back for one of the first times I spent an extended period of time with you was the World Junior Hockey Championship 2005, Grand Forks, North Dakota. The coldest I have ever been in my entire life. Do you remember how cold it was there? Well, in, in, in midday when it should be the warmest, it was minus 50. And I remember we had these parkas on and they had the fur in front of them. And you just pull a parka in front of your face when you're going from your bus or vehicle to the rink. It was extremely cold. Yeah. You I know remember, what? A good story with that, Gina. After the tournament was over, we left. And went back to Winnipeg so everybody could fly out from Winnipeg the next day. We got on. They had a red bus for us. And we got on. I don't know. Maybe we just luck, luck of the draw. We're red representing Canada or whatever. But we're driving back to Winnipeg. And it's minus 65. And our, and our heater and defrost went out of the bus. So the coaches were standing up at the bus with the bus driver. And, and the bus driver had uh, a bottle of whiskey, but none of us would drink. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're pouring the bottle of whiskey on a rag and wiping the window down in front of him so he could see all the way to, all the way to Winnipeg. <laughs> That's was, hilarious. That's the was, most expensive windshield washer fluid I've ever oh, heard of, oh, brother. It's crazy. I don't know if it was Crown Royal, what it was, but geez. <laughs> yeah, it was cold. What a collection. What a like for the people who don't remember that team, that's, I don't know. Was it the greatest world junior team ever? I mean, that was Bergeron and Crosby. And I mean, the list went on and on and on. What are your recollections of the talent? You played for some amazing teams. You played in Canada cups with some of the great legends of all time, but in terms of coaching, do you ever remember a single group that talented that you ever got to coach? Well, that year was the year of the lockout. And yeah. so, you know, if you look back at that team, there probably could have been seven or eight players would have played in the NHL that we wouldn't have had there. And that's how talented of a group we had. That that age group was exceptional. Um, you know, it was uh, it was the 85 age group. And, uh, you know, we got Patrice back, Bergeron back from uh, the American Hockey League, came back and played. And he it, that just kind of solidified it all just with yeah. his character and his leadership and the type player he was. And, and obviously Sydney was 17 at the time. And he was a great, at that point in time of Sydney, obviously Sydney has turned out to be, you know, one of the best players of all time. Then Sheldon, an awesome human being, but uh, Bergeron Sydney, we put together at that time in 07 or 05 and every international 
tournament or games they played with one another on, on the same team they played together from that point on. And yeah. uh, it was, it was amazing team. You know, we knew, you know, I, we, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, you know, you look at, and the list goes on, right? Like there's so many, I'm just naming a few, like I could go through, I mean, I don't know how many of those players played in that team, but there was a lot that ended up being stars on uh, on their own teams in the National Hockey League and played for some big money in the NHL. So it was a yeah. group that uh, certainly was elite. I guess it's up for question whether it was the uh, greatest of all time. But when you look at that group, I don't know how you can't sit there and, you know, put it right at the top. It was it was amazing, just an incredible experience in that barn. It was close enough to Winnipeg, as you mentioned. We all drove down from Winnipeg, uh, but it was close enough for Winnipeg that the fans were able to make the make the drive down and yeah. packed house every single game. It was it was just crazy. And well, you know, we were supposed to play in another pool. We were, we were our pool played in the other rink, and that was a forty five minute drive away from Grand Forks. That's where our pool was supposed to be played, but because of the the attendance, they wanted us playing all our games in the big facility. So the teams, when they had play us in our group, had to come back into Grand Forks to play us in Grand Forks. You're a guy who understood cold weather as a kid growing up. You grew up in Viking, Alberta, uh, seven boys, the Sutter family. On a little farming community, you guys ended up suiting, for, dressing for almost 5,000 NHL games. 5,000 NHL games. Amongst you and your brothers, you lifted the Stanley Cup six different times. Are there times in your head where you kind of go, I know you experienced it personally, but are there times in your head go, I can't believe that our, uh, us as brothers went through all that we did? Well, you know, actually with Daryl's two Stanley Cups as a coach, it was eight and, yeah. uh, and, uh, when you go through it all, look back, uh, you know, <laughs> you compare the, the standards today, as far as facilities and everything that to back then it, you know, it's crazy, but, uh, you know, we learned basically to be truthful and, and this is no BS. We learned to play the game on the slew and, uh, you know, we we skated as soon as the slews were got hard enough, and we were out there every Explain day. Explain what that is. Sorry for our listeners who don't know. Well, what it's it's what it's it, it's like a it's a a pond or a pool of water out in the middle of the field, and and we'd have three or four different spots that we'd always rotate to on the farm because you know maybe one spot the ice you know the ice all obviously it wasn't good enough. We moved to another place and another 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 pond and. Uh, uh, you know, and, and we never had nets. Like we made we made nets out of two by fours and plywood, or we just used rubber boots or our, or our winter boots, whatever. And uh, our our benches to get to put our skates on and stuff like that. And we went and played was a bale a bale of straw or hay. Um, you know, and and part of it was because you live we live seven miles from town, and. You know, we played on natural ice to start with, not artificial ice. So the ice never went in till around the first of November, and uh, and it all it was always out by the end of March. So you only played five months, really, to be truthful, uh, inside your rink, and that's if you didn't have a Chinook come in and melt your ice on you. But you know, it was, and we were the only league or only uh, um, town in our league that had an indoor facility everybody else's was outdoors. So we'd have to go there and play them. And then we'd have to help the, help the team. We're playing shovel of snow off the ice so we can play the game. But yeah, it was, but you know what? I think that's all part of, um, as you look back on it, all part of forming character um, in understanding, you know, the, obviously when they talk about love of the game, that truly was what love the game. All the kids did back then, you know, basically the grassroots of hockey back then was you to do it. You, it was tough, you know, so yeah. it was, it was what it was and you made the most of it. You certainly did. I mean, it's, I mean, the fact that you had that many brothers make it to the NHL, the fact that you guys came from such humble beginnings, the fact that you learned how to skate just on the farm with boots as a net. I mean, all of it is just insane. It's just crazy. Um, 
there was there were the seven boys, and let me list them for you. And I wrote them down because I'll never remember. I'm you know had a chance to work with all of you over the years, except for your older brother Gary. I've never met Gary. Gary was the one who stayed back on the farm and ran the farm. He was the oldest. Then there was Brian, Daryl, Dwayne, you, the twins, Ronnie and Richie. Um, you guys, the six guys, seven years apart, <laughs> like. I, I can't imagine what that was like. I, I want to spend, I'm going to talk about your brothers in a second. The other guy, the brothers in a second, but let's talk about Gary first, because I hear a, a couple of things about him and I just want to confirm this. Was he the best hockey player potentially amongst the entire group of you? Cause I've heard that from a number of you guys. Gary, uh, he, he could play any position outside of goalie. I mean, he was as good of a defenseman. He was a forward. Um, he was, he was smart. Uh, he could skate. Um, he had a switch to him where he could absolutely snap on the ice too. Um, yeah, he had, he had that, that part of his game, I guess as far as the whole element of his game, it was all there, you know, and he, he certainly was a good enough, obviously to move on. Um, but he made a decision at 16 years of age. Uh, he could have went on to red deer and played in red deer too, where we all first started playing junior hockey and, uh, and yet he decided he was uh, not going to do that, um, you know. And back then, who would have ever known, right? Like yeah. that they would move on, and six of us, other youngest ones, would would uh, move on and play professional hockey. And yet he made that decision at that point in time, and you got to respect that. Fact or fiction? Did he really win the lottery? Fact. Come on. That's insane to me. So seven, seven Southern brothers, six of them make the NHL. And the one guy who doesn't make the NHL wins the lottery. That's crazy. Yeah, well, him and his significant other were, uh, they were living in Kelowna and they're working at a lumber company or, uh, I, I don't know if it was a home hardware at the time or not, um, where they're working and she ran, she worked on the, in the inside and Gary worked in the yard and the outside. And I guess after work one night, there was four couples that, all knew each other. They, they were going out for dinner and, uh, and on the way there, they decided that, uh, they would, uh, buy a ticket and, uh, they bought some lotto tickets and they ended up winning the BC lotto. So and how much yeah. did they win? Um, I think they all ended up with like about 1.5 each or something like that. So yeah, it was, it was, well, as far as couples, um, I think it was right around that six and a half or $7 million, but it doesn't matter. It was significant. Just the fact that you think the odds of, of winning that, uh, we all, we all hope and wish we could, but we know what the odds are. It's never going to happen. So yeah, it was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, take me back to your, to your childhood for a second. Um, I mean, the Sutters weren't the only ones that were playing in Alberta at that point. Uh, when you were a 15 year old, you were playing for Red Deer with your brother, Dwayne, and you were playing against the 16 year old who ended up doing okay on his own, <laughs> playing the NHL, a Stanley cup champion and uh, hockey hall of favor. Tell yeah. me the story about that. And tell me about the specific playoff series that, well, you tell the story about when all hell broke loose with this kid. Mark is, we we're obviously talking about mess, right? And, uh, um, and Mark played for St. Albert as, uh, Doug, his dad, um, coached the team, uh, that actually they, they started in Spruce with the Spruce Grove Mets and, uh, and then they moved into St. Albert. Um, but when I started in league as a 15 year old, uh, Mark was a 16 year old at that time. And, uh, uh, he was obviously Mark played the year before as a 15 year old was a standout in the league. And then he was there as 16 year old. And everyone knows what happened to him as 17. He ends up playing down in the WHA. So yeah. uh, that's how big of a, you know, how good of a player he was. And, but yeah, it was a playoff game. It was crazy. It was, you know, we had, we played them in a best of seven series. Uh, there was a big rivalry between Red Deer and, uh, and uh, their team. And uh, we had, Throughout the year, it didn't. There was always things happened before the game or during the game where you'd have the benches went empty. It was crazy, and uh, but that was the way game was played back then. And then we got then we ended up playing him in a best of uh, in a best of seven series in the first round. And uh, there was three games of the first six where there was pregame brawls, and then in game seven, you pretty well knew it was going to happen, but. 
back then the game, when you went out for warm-up, everybody skated, both teams skated around the full rink of the ice. And there's not like, and, and really that's what, and people look back, but that the next year, the next year, the I think it was the next year they decided to do warm-ups in half ice. And, and uh, if you, the puck went over the red line, you couldn't go get it. And so it was crazy, but uh, how things changed. But in game seven, we end up having this full big brawl. And, uh, you know, back then there was the rosters of 19. And they end up with 21 or 22 players on the ice during the brawl. And uh, so anyway, it was crazy. Um, you know, I, I've always had, a, you know, a lot of respect for the teams that Doug had. They played hard. They competed. But we had the same thing in Red Deer. And uh, and I always, obviously, a lot of respect for Mark. And we had, you know, I had an opportunity to play with them in different international events like the Canada Cup. And uh, an awesome individual, obviously a great leader. And But game seven, we get done that game. We lose. Four three, so we lose the series. We come back to Red Deer, and we had a guy on our team that was married, and he was twenty years old, and he and he and he built a house in Red Deer with his wife, and uh, and they had a little girl, and so he got home, and we decided that's where the party was going to be. Well, we partied there for two days, and on halfway through day two. We get a call from John Chapman, our coach, Chappie. He says, uh, oh, by the way, guys, we're going back to St. Albert tomorrow night to play game eight. We're like, what? And he goes, we won the protest. He says we protested the game because they had all these guys come out during the brawl and they had too many players come out for warm-up. So we end up winning the protest and going back there and playing game eight. And we end up losing that four, three, two. So, uh, it's crazy. Like when you look back on it, it's unbelievable how that all materialized. Can I, can I ask you a question? There's another story. Again, there's so many things, stories that I'm hearing over the years that I've heard. And I, I have to wonder fact or fiction. I heard about the black Wednesday brawl. This is when you played junior with the twins, yeah. Ron and Richie in Red Deer, yeah. the wrestlers. Um, you were playing against St. Albert. Yeah. And if this story is true, you got your teams got dressed, went out for the warmups without gloves or sticks, just with the specific intent because everybody knew the brawls were going to happen. Did that really happen? Correct. It's fact. We, uh, we went on the ice. We knew going in that this was going to happen. Um, you know, that year our team was, I mean, we had a rivalry, obviously the history of St. Albert and Red Deer, but we were we were a dominant team and we lost nine games all that year. We ended up winning Canada, um, but uh, yeah, we knew. And we had, a, we had a big team, like our smallest defenseman was 5'10", 215. And, uh, you know, we had guys that were 6'4", 230. Like we were, we were a heck of a team. Like we could have competed and beat a lot of teams in the Western Hawks at that point in time. Like we were, we were a really good team. And uh, you think about it over the next two years, three years, we had four first round draft picks and then shell off that team playing junior hockey, myself, brothers, Ronnie and Richie and Randy Moeller. So um, we, uh, yeah, we were, we went in there. And uh, we played, it was, uh, it was a game that was played through the regular season and uh, it happened and it went into the stands. It went into the, off the ice, into the, into the foyer. It was crazy. And we all had our skates on and they shut the lights off and told everyone to get back in their dressing rooms. They had all the fans leave. Everyone getting the police all came. There was police everywhere. And uh, I'll never forget this. The officer walked into our dressing room and said, there will be no charges laid against anybody. If you guys get your skates off, throw them in your bag, throw your clothes in your bag and get on your bus now and head back to Red Deer. So we did. So here we're all walking out of the rink and we get on the bus. We still got our equipment on and mom and dad were coming down to the game. And they pulled in the parking lot and 
they walked up to the CSO walking back on the bus with their equipment on. And they're just like, oh my God. And dad and mom come up to the bus and all dad is dad says, he looks at us and said, you assholes. And he turned around, walked back to the car and they drove back to Viking. <laughs> so yeah, he didn't have, they didn't even talk to us. They said, you, uh, he said, that's all he said, you assholes. And he turned around, they walked back into the car and they drove back to Viking. <laughs> so was that, was that when uh, Doug Messier, Mark Messier's dad, it was the coach got suspended for life. Is that yeah. what that happened? Yeah. You know, we had a, um, it happened on the middle. That's well, basically happened at center ice. Doug, uh, Doug and Terry, Terry Sexsmith, who was our trainer, um, uh, they fought at center ice and, uh, and yeah, you know what? And I don't know if that was all that, I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't think it would to be quite honest. And it just so happened John Chapman, our coach, Chappie, was suspended, got suspended from the game before for 12 games because he chased the ref around the ice after the game. And uh, so it was, we were fortunate our coach was coming back in 12 games, but our general manager, the guts, because he was coaching the team, he happened to hide under the bench while the whole brawl was on because he didn't want anything to do with it. And, and that's a true story. He did not. He went under the bench and, and Doug was probably look hunting him down and couldn't find him. Right. So, and so he hit under the bench. Um, Terry Sexman, who played in the inter- actually played uh, back in the East Coast League back then. Yeah, it, was that the lowest league at, at, uh, at Pro? I'm not sure as far as, and it was a tough, tough league. And he got suspended from life from that league for the shenanigans he did and he's our head trainer. So it was, yeah. And you know, and I, I, to be quite honest, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for Doug and Messier family and stuff like that. And uh, um, you know, obviously highly competitive and um, I didn't be quite honest. I thought Doug got a raw end of the deal there. I really did. Um, You know, when you look back on it, why was he the only one that that happened to? Right. So uh, I didn't think it was uh, a fair outcome, obviously, in that situation. It's movie. It's a movie. Sats, you should sell this. This is like the movie rights from this would be a freaking fortune. <laughs> well, Mark and I could do it together. <laughs> we no could tell all the stories between Red Deer and, uh, and St. Albert. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. The incredible thing is from those humble beginnings, from that incredible, like truth is stranger than fiction story. I love asking you these questions because now I find out that they're all actually true stories, not fictitious. You ended up playing uh, over 1100 games in the NHL. You ended up being a, a first round draft pick 17th overall by the New York Islanders in the 1980 NHL draft. And you end up being on, on your brother Dwayne's team. So in that year, you're now drafted onto a team where there, there's kind of thoughts in your mind where you say, I want to get drafted on a good team so I have a chance to win, but I want to get drafted on a bad team so I have a chance to play because that's always an interesting combination. Now you're drafted in a first round on a team that's just won two Stanley Cups and still 
one of the best favorites to continue to win. What was that like for you when you knew you were going to the New York Islanders and you were going to get a chance to play with your brother, Dwayne? Well, in that year, um, you know, obviously it was my, it was my uh, seventh year old season in red year playing junior A hockey. And I was actually the first player that got drafted out of junior A hockey into the national hockey league. And, uh, and it was myself that year. And then after I got picked, uh, a player by the name of Rick Wilson had got drafted from down East into the West, into the national hockey league. But, uh, um, I didn't think like, I really thought I was getting drafted by the Rangers or the, or the flames. Um, I never, ever spoke to the Islanders the whole winter, but I went out for lunches, went out for dinners with, uh, flame scout, uh, Ian McKenzie and, uh, and, and, uh, Mr. Jankowski, Lou Jankowski was a scout for the Rangers. And I went out for dinner and lunches with him all winter. So I really thought it was one of those two teams. So the day of the draft, I had it back then you didn't go to the draft and I was actually working for a Northwestern utilities gas company. And, uh, and I was in the backyard actually welding up gates, Texas gates are called. And uh, there are gates that go on the ground on entrances into lease roads, gas lease roads. And uh, you drive over them, they're steel pipe gates. And I'm out there welding and our boss, Lynn Joseph, Joseph Fishin comes out about 1030 and comes out and says, Hey, you're wanted on the phone in the office, in my office. And I was like, Oh, and he says, yeah, he says, I'm not sure who it was. He already knew because Mr. Tory had already told him. And uh, so I walked in the land and Lynn closed the door after I walked in the room and I answered the phone. It was Mr. Tory, Bob Tory from, or Bill Tory from uh, yeah, Bill Tory from the Islanders and, uh, um, Mr. Bowtie and uh, he uh, called and said hey we selected the 17th pick overall with the you know by the Islanders and and the year before Dwayne got drafted by the Islanders with the 17th pick so it was both years we're both taken 17th and I was like wow I mean I just finished watching these guys playing playing in the Stanley Cup finals against the Philadelphia Flyers and here I'm you know here I'm being drafted by him so it was a pretty cool experience yeah and it was, you step into a situation where two-time Stanley Cup champion, one of the greatest coaches of all time, Al Arbor, yeah. which I'm sure that was a learning curve. You got to, there's a story about um, you making some defensive mistake in the series against the Rangers yeah. and you got a talking to from Al Arbor, but then he puts you back in, into the lineup against the Vancouver Canucks and you replace Brian Trottier. Brian Trotje, the legend, coach calls, trots off the ice, sends you on the ice to take an offensive zone face-off on a power play. You guys scored, and then it completely changed your future in those playoffs. Tell us about that. You know, I go into, go, I go into, go into the Islanders. They call me up as a 19-year-old on January 4th of, that, of my 19-year-old season. Uh, the 18-year-old season, I went back and played in Lethbridge in the Western Hockey League, and then I went to training camp, and uh, I had a really good camp. I actually led the team in scoring through training camp, played in every exhibition game. And then when that was over, Mr. Torrey called me in and Al, and they said, hey, listen, we want to be loyal to the group that won the two Stanley Cups. And and I was actually with them during the second Stanley Cup, but I never played in games. I practiced with them and everything like that. Um, I'm one of those black ace type players, black but ace. I, I, yeah, but I actually got the, got the practice with the big group. So I went back and then on January 4th, I got called. Well, actually that year, the world juniors was being played in North Dakota. And, uh, Dave King called me on the 1st of December and said, Hey, we, we, uh, we're inviting you to, uh, the world juniors, uh, team and we want you to be our captain. And, uh, so I thought, oh, this is awesome. So I get to go to team Canada and play and. And then I got a call from Mr. Tory saying, Hey, I don't think we're going to want you to go. And uh, he said, we want, we want to call you up on December 21st. We play in Detroit and December 22nd, we play it back home against Winnipeg. We're going to fly you back home to have Christmas with your mom and dad. And it'll be the last Christmas you have, have at home for a long time. And then we're going to call you up for good on January 4th. 
So Lethbridge, John Chapman, our coach, knew that pretty well too, the whole story. So I got called up January 4th, go there, and played 40 games, um, had 20 goals or 21 goals, had 40 points in 40 games, uh, <laughs> led the team in penalty minutes. Uh, it was crazy. The regular season, it's like beyond imagination. That I, You know, you could go into that from junior to the National Hockey League and you're getting a point a game in midseason. Um, and then we got into the first playoff or first round of playoffs against the Rangers. And uh, uh, I was carrying the puck out of my end. It was game one. Um, and about that time, it's a best of five series, not a best of seven. And I tried to beat, and this guy, Rob McClanahan, remember he played for the U.S. national team? And I tried, I was the last guy, and I knew better. And I was the last guy coming to the zone with the puck, and I tried to beat him one-on-one. -on -one. I lost the puck. And Rob went in and scored and got the, that was a game winning goal. Well, then I end up not, I end up playing fourth line. I was like the 11th, at that time you only dressed 11 forwards. I end up being the 11th forward um, for the rest of that series and the rest of the next two series. And back then, those 10th and 11th forwards, they were tough guys. Mm. So here I am, 175 pounds maybe 180, I don't know. And I'm out there playing against guys that are 210, 220, and they're just out there for one reason. So it was a really wake-up call for me. Uh, I learned a lot through that process, and then we got into the Stanley Cup Finals. It was game two on Long Island. Puck in the, in the second period. Um, actually, no, not second period, third period. The score was, uh, at that time, I believe it was 5-1 five, five or something. I forget what it was. And we had a power play and I, like I dressed every game, but I never, I never, I get four shifts a game maybe. And then had a power play and uh, Al comes down, taps me in the shoulder and says, go take trots off the ice. And I turn around and look down like, are you serious? Like I played like one shift tonight. Like he says, go take him off the ice. So, and we were up five ones. So I went and I tapped, Trotter on the pads. He taps me in the pads. He goes to the bench. I go and take the face off. We end up scoring. When not win the draw, we end up scoring. And then there was about 12 minutes left to go in the game. And then, of course, you've got a lead like that, and, and Al's not going to play as star, star players. So I end up playing a lot the rest of the game. And then we go into Vancouver, and uh, he didn't take me off the ice. I played a ton in game three, and he played a ton in game four. We end up winning the Stanley Cup, and we're in the dressing room celebrating after winning. And Ron Waski, our medical trainer, comes in and taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, Brent, Radar wants to see you outside the dressing room. Of course, that's Al's nickname. Yep. I'm like, what? Like, we just won the Stanley Cup. We're in here. Like, what does the coach <laughs> want to talk to me about now? Right? So I walk out. And he's standing there, and Al's got big, broad shoulders. And uh, standing there, and I walk over to him. He's underneath the stands at Pacific Coliseum, outside the dressing room. I'll never forget. Every time I went back there and played after, I never, ever forgot that spot right there, right where this happened. He, he looked up, and he grabbed me around my collar and was kind of choking me. And nowadays you go to prison for that, right? So, <laughs> and he grabbed me and he held me and he goes, what did you learn from this? And I'm like, uh, like you know, I don't didn't even know what to say. I was like, I don't know, like uh, how to, you know, be a champion, how to win. He goes, no, I just made you the most mentally toughest player in the National Hockey League and you're going to have a long career, son. Get back in there with your teammates and celebrate. And I was like, wow. And, you know, and, and from that point on, you know, I thought about, I thought about that a lot that summer, what he told me and uh, the experience I went through. And, um, and even as my career, if things weren't going exactly the way you wanted to go, as far as your play and stuff like that, I'd always go back to that point and think back to what he, he told me and it would get, and it get you through. Right. So, um, 
he became like a dad to me, Al did. Um, like a second dad. Like he he was uh he treated me like like his own son, like after you know, he never ever raised his voice or ever after that. He never whenever we talked, it was just like you and I are talking. Um, you know, and, and it got to the point where he was uh my nickname to him was Shithead. So he, he on the bench he would say, Hey shithead, your line's up. So that's that was that was that's what uh that was my nickname to Al was Shithead. So he'd go, Hey shithead, your line's up. And so everyone looked like, Well, I guess that's Brent's nickname is Shithead. So that's uh that but we had a great, great relationship, you know, when I got traded from Long Island to Chicago. That was a tough day for him and I. And uh but uh you know he's to me you know, the two coaches in my life that, that uh, were long lasting and I had them for a long time, obviously. And I played for a lot of great coaches with Daryl and Craig Hartsburg and guys like that. Mike Keenan, Canada Cups and uh, Glenn Sather and Canada Cups. But when you're coached by someone for, you know, nine years, you form a great relationship there and uh, you have, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, is very, I guess, touching. And even becoming a coach, you learn something from everybody. But the stuff that Al did, um, you know, I always look back and the way he got the most out of his players was actually a phenomenal way. He had so much respect for everybody in the dressing room. Um, and he respected everybody in their own way. He knew how to push the right buttons. After you win that first Stanley Cup, it's amazing the relationship you had with Arbor. After you win that first Stanley Cup now, you go back to the Cup Final now you're facing Gretzky and everybody's thought like, you know, there's no way the Islanders are going to make this four in a row. Now they're facing Gretzky, Messier, Coffey, Glenn Anderson, Grant Fuhrer. And you guys did it again. You win, you win your second Stanley cup against that incredible team that will go on to win multiple Stanley cups of their own. They ultimately ended your streak, but made it four in a row for the organization, two in a row for you, your first two seasons in the NHL. And then you had an opportunity to not play against these guys, but play with them at the Canada Cup. International hockey has always been hugely important to you. Yeah, But I think you kind of underestimated your talent because, it, again, fact or fiction, what was your reaction when you got the call about the fact that you were making Canada Cup? <laughs> How did that conversation go in terms of the shock and disbelief that you were experiencing when you heard you were now going to play with some of the greatest legends of all time representing Canada? Well, they had already named their team, and they'd gone down to Montreal to start. They named 30 players. Brother Brian was one of the 30, and I happened, you know, we lived in the same town, Sylvan Lake, and so Brian and I trained together. I He wanted me to train with him so it can get him ready for the Canada Cup. And, of course, you know, I always, I always took a lot of pride in training, even though <laughs> that might not have been the case back in the day, but um, – but and making sure I was in really good shape when I went to camp. And uh, so Brian, and I trained hard so he could be ready to go in August. And they got, they named the 30 guys and they went there and Trotch ended up not going. Trotch ended up using his um, uh, treaty card where you could choose whatever country, you know, your citizen, whatever country. And he ended up staying and playing for the U S team. And so they need another player. And I happened to be the guy they called. And Al Nagelson called me at 10 o'clock in the morning and called and says, hey, Brent, Al Nagelson here. Uh, I'm calling to invite you to the Canada Cup training camp. And I said, F you, and hung the phone up. I thought someone was just joking, right? Like, I didn't think this was serious. And then Bill calls me, Mr. Torrey calls me like five minutes later and says, hey, Brent, that was Al Nagelson. <laughs> you are invited and you got a flight out today at six o'clock at supper time. You got to get to Montreal. So I was like, Oh my God. So I quickly packed and my wife helped me get packed up and Connie and uh, the way we, uh, the way I, you know, I took off and went there and it was very, you know, I was like kind of like in, you know, you're flying there and you're sitting in the airplane and you're going, Oh my God, like, I'm going to train with the top 29 players in our country that are playing in the National Hockey League. And and then it, it kind of hit me, right? And then when you get there, you're, you know, the first the first day on the ice, you're, 
obviously you don't want to disappoint in you. And I got there and I was like, Hey man, I can play with these guys. But the, the thing that I'll never forget, and this is, this happened. Kevin Lowe is the first exhibition game and Kevin Lowe and I jumped into a cab going to the game um, from the hotel. And Kevin says to me, and of course we had the, um, you know, it was the uh, um, rivalry and stuff between the Rangers and the Islanders and stuff like that. And, uh, but I never, you know, it's perfect. You know, obviously I, I always respected the Edmonton and the talent and the type of players they had. So, um, and I knew Mass from playing against them. And in a way I had, uh, I was pretty nervous. And Kevin says to me, uh, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing okay. He says, you're a little nervous? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I am too, he said. But, Brent, you wouldn't be here if you weren't a great player. And uh, he said, just go out and be you and play your game. And he says, that's all Slots is going to want from you. And uh, he said, I'm telling you, you do that. Hey, we know it. We played against you. Everything like that, Stanley Cups and stuff. And uh, you're going to do well. So, and I went there and ended up, they ended up, I ended up making the team. And down to 22 players, and I was one of 22 guys. Crazy. Amazing. Amazing the stuff you accomplished. Uh, and then you mentioned you went on to the Blackhawks and you went on to coach as well. And then in your retirement. And the story I find kind of mind-boggling, all the stuff that you you did, the, the tremendous success you did, over 1,100 games, and yet financially it wasn't there for you. You, When you retired, you went and bought the Red Deer Rebels. And in order to be able to, more, to finance that, you had to mortgage your farm and had to take out a big loan to be able to make that happen. It was the highest fee ever at that point to, to get a junior team at that point. And I, I remember you telling, telling us in the media, I'm going to win the Memorial cup within three years. And it's like, dude, it's the hardest cup in all of hockey to win. It's harder to win than the Stanley cup because there's over a hundred teams that are competing for it and the chance to do it, but you did it. You did it in two years. Yeah which was amazing to me. And now you're the owner, general manager, coach. I mean, you've gone through it all with that organization. How important was it to you to have success like that at the junior level and also really give back to the community where it all really began for you? Well, you know, when I was getting near, probably about in the mid, I don't run. I always had the thing, I guess, in the 90s that when I'm done playing, and because the best advice I got was from Bobby Nystrom, and I'll never forget this. It was, it was after I played my fourth game, fourth game in Long Island, and we're sitting in our practice rink, and Bobby Nice said, uh, asked me, he said, "How long do you think you're going to play this game for?" And I'm like, "I, I don't know. I wasn't sure, right?" And you're saying, well, "I don't know." And he says, "Well, let me give you some advice. You start preparing when for when you're done the game today, because you never know how long it's going to last for." And so I never forgot that. And so, um, you know, I was fortunate enough along the way to obviously win championships and stuff, but to uh, have good people outside the game that helped me with certain things, whether it's financially or whatever. And uh, and I made a decision in, in early 90s, my wife and I, that we moved back to, to Silver Lake, their hometown. I was going to buy some land and uh, I was going to run a ranch, a cow-calf operation and stuff. So... That's what we did. And uh, when I quit playing um, and when I stepped away in April 98, I actually had a meeting with uh, with the Blackhawks and uh, they wanted me to stay and be the head coach because they let Craig Hartsburg go at that time. And they asked if I would stay and become the head coach. And I told them, no, I didn't think it was fair to the players, my teammates. It wasn't fair to me. It was setting everybody up to fail. I said, no, I said, I, if I'm going to coach at some point, I need to get home. I need to get back. I want to take a little bit of time away from the game and then make a decision whether I'd want to get into coaching or not. So I came home and where we came home with the kids and, uh, I started, it was November and I got a call from Terry Simpson. He was owning the, he owned, Wayne and Terry owned the Rebels at that point in time. They'd been in the city for seven years. And, uh, when the franchise first started up in 90, 92 and, uh, he asked me if I'd come in and help out the centerman and stuff like that, or maybe help himself and Peter Anholt, the assistant coach, a little bit on, co you know, on the coaching side. Of it. And I said, ah, sure. So I started doing a little bit of that. And uh, and then in January, he asked me if I want to go to the All-Star game in Lethbridge and watch the game. I said, sure. So <clears throat> we were driving down there, and he said to me, uh, 
you'd think you'd have any interest in buying the hockey team. And I'm like, oh, like I didn't really know it was for sale. And uh, he said, well, if we found the right person, this is what <clears throat> this is what we'd want for it. And we'd certainly sell it. So on the way back, I thought about it through that whole game. That game was kind of a blur to me. And then I thought about the whole game. And then on the way home, I said to Terry, well, you talk to Wayne and I want I want to see the books. So we did that. They opened the books up. I got a couple of accounts, a couple of lawyers, and we spent about two and a half months going through everything. And we put a 10-year plan in place to that. And that time was the highest paid franchise junior hockey for $3.2 million. And, uh, and of course I didn't make that kind of money. So I had to, I had to borrow it all. I borrowed it all actually at the bank of Montreal. And, and I put down everything that I owned as collateral on that loan, everything, it, my home, our farm machinery, you name it, everything was put down on that just so I could get the money. And you're right. We did have that. And that we did have that. We did have a big press conference here in Red Deer when the, when the, Ownership changed hands. And uh, after being around that group of players and seeing the league that year, I had a really good feel what needed to be done to be competitive and be at a high level. And I knew the players that Carter Sears was their head scout at the time. And Wayne Simpson, who was the owner and GM, was a great scout too. They had some great young players coming in. And I just, I don't know, I said it. I said, hey, um, the question got asked. I said, you know, we're, I, my 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 goal is that we want to win the Memorial Cup within three years, and uh, we end up winning in the second year with three players that were on the team from when I first bought it, and that's yeah. how that was a the change in turnover, and I guess the rest is history. Um, and then we went to the finals three years in a row after that. You're a freaking legend, man. It's amazing to me. I mean, you were vastly underpaid during your NHL career. And I'm so happy now because, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm going to guess you've made way more with this junior team than you ever did playing in the NHL. And yeah. you deserve every penny of it, my friend. You deserve yeah. every penny. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. I'm so happy. Listen, you've been amazing, Brent, sharing all this time with us. And... Uh, before we go, I want to play five fast facts. Will you play five fast facts with me? Absolutely. I'll, yeah. ask you, I'll ask you a quick question. You give me a quick answer. Give me the first thing that comes to your mind when you do this. Okay. Yeah. Time now for five fast facts with Brent Sutter. Best teammate that you ever played with. Who was that? Oh, I played with some great ones. I, I could never say one guy. I just wouldn't do that. It's disrespectful. I, I just think every player I played with was a great teammate. I think this one's easy. Who was the best coach you ever played for? Al Arbor. Who did you hate playing against the most and why? You know what? I, I, I think Gretz and Mario because I always had to check them. And I always played against them whenever we played them. And obviously, their talent and type play the greatest players and that ever played the game, right? So and you just didn't want to embarrass yourself. So you tried to do the best you could against them. You didn't embarrass yourself. You had a lot of success against them. What was your favorite NHL city to play in? As far as probably L.A. at the time, but as far as excitement and uh, all the shenanigans that went on, the Rangers, Madison Gardens, New York. I think this last question is pretty easy, but I'll ask it anyway. If you hadn't become an NHL player, what career do you think you would have had instead? Well, I probably would have ended up being a rancher and be broke. <laughs> hey, listen, I know uh, I know a rancher who's not broke, uh, eldest of the Sutter brothers, Gary, and he's done okay. Yeah, no, they're all yeah, they're all doing good. Brent, it's been amazing catching up with you. Thank you so much for sharing all these amazing stories. It's been so much fun. I'm glad things are going so well for you. And uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for these great stories. No, thank you for having me, bud. So it's great to see you again. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, three-time Canada Cup champ, two-time world junior head coach, gold medalist, Brent Sutter, a legend. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, local bread from the 7 Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and 
of the general population and require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.